0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You all know I love traveling, but last year I found myself living in Germany during lockdown. Okay, lockdown meaning I had no friends, no support system, I couldn't speak the language, I was truly locked inside for months with my only social outings involving going to the grocery store and my only outlet being work, which was fast track to feeling burnt out and isolated. I knew I needed help and someone to talk to, so I downloaded BetterHelp. It was exactly what I needed, and I've been using it ever since then. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your own convenience. I currently do it in my bedroom while traveling. One of the reasons I continue to use BetterHelp is because of the range of expertise and their 20,000 plus therapist network. It gives you access to help that you may not find available in your area. For example, maybe you're struggling with relationships, so you're seeking out someone who specializes in relationships. Or maybe you're struggling with family dynamics or depression, and you want to find someone that specializes in those fields, you can filter it out on the app. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with therapists in under 48 hours. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. I use the text feature all the time with my therapist, Rosalie. Between sessions, I'll share what's coming up, like any triggers or issues that I'm facing, and she helps me work through them before our next video session. It's honestly my favorite feature, especially with my time zone difference here in South Africa. And here's the thing, finding the right therapist is like dating, and you have to find the right match. Fortunately, with BetterHelp, you can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the two million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And guess what? You get a 10% discount off your first month of therapy. Just use my link betterhelp.com rife10. Oh, and PS, they have financial aid. So check that out too. Again, use code rife10 at checkout or head to the link in my show notes where the code is automatically applied. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. Wow, wow, wow. Today I have a dream guest on, actual dream guest. It is someone who developed a software that has literally changed my life, changed my productivity, changed how much I can get done in a day. And that is the CEO and founder of Focusmate, Taylor Jacobson. So if you follow me on Instagram, you already know. I've been raving about this software left, right, front, and center. I cannot get over how simple it is to use, but also how much I can get done when I use it. Actually, FYI, I am literally on a Focusmate session right now as I record this intro. (laughs) So if you're like, what is Focusmate? What is she talking about? Don't worry, we get into it in this episode. But essentially, it's for people that really struggle with things that seem small. So you know when you check your to-do list, and you'd see all these small things that are just like, you know, send email, pay online bill, send gift card. And it's like a gift card that could be sent online. But all of a sudden you just shut down and you're like, this is overwhelming. I'm going to put this away and deal with it later. If you're like me, you take a nap. <laughs> all of a sudden when I get overwhelmed, I just look at my to-do list and I'm like, mm, I think I'm going to ignore all responsibilities and take a nap. Or I decide that that's for another day. And then that task somehow gets put to five weeks from now and then five months from now, and then it never gets done. And it's literally like send gift. So I struggle with that. And I used to beat myself up. I'm like, how can it be this hard? Sending an email takes five minutes. Sending a gift card online takes two seconds. And paying an online bill is literally just entering credit card information. If you're like me and you wait until the last minute when the pressure is on, the timer's counting down. The credit card company is sending a late payment notice. You're getting a final warning reminder. Then you do the task. And you're often someone who probably identifies with getting tasks done in the last minute. You're one of those people that's like, I work best under pressure. I get things done the night before. I always pull through at the final hour. You're probably someone that used to write your essays doing college the night before like I did, you know, turning things in right at the final minute online. Yeah. Yeah that is not random. A lot of us deal with that. So if you felt like that at all, you're probably someone who needs accountability to get tasks done. There's different driving factors for the way people get things done. You know, some people are motivated by words and praise. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by money, losing it. I'm actually really motivated by loss aversion than I am gaining something. There's people that are motivated by accountability. There are so many ways that people get motivated, and accountability is one that you probably need if you felt like you related to anything that I was saying before. So, Focus Mate, you work with a body double. Now, a body double, you're like, are we in Hollywood? Like, do I need a body double? So, I've been studying a lot about ADHD and neurodivergent thinkers. I'm in a lot of communities with people like that. I had a coach like that. A lot of people in my family have ADHD. So I've just been really fascinated by it because I, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was like a trend that all of a sudden everyone had ADHD. And the more and more I studied it, I'm like, ah, I might have it as well. And so I've just been really interested in like, why does it take me so long to get tasks done? And why do I have trouble getting small tasks done, but not big ones? Like, I don't have trouble recording an hour long interview or prepping for it but like writing the show notes or even looking at show notes and reviewing them if someone writes them for me, that gets pushed to the very last minute. So I was studying this and I learned about body doubles or accountability partners, which means that you need someone in front of you or next to you to create some natural pressure to complete a task. So again, this is especially helpful if you have ADHD or a neurodivergent. But if you're like, okay, wait, how do I just find a body double on a Tuesday at two thirty five in the afternoon? I can't just hit up my friend, or whenever I do hit up my friends, they're busy, or they cancel, or we end up gossiping, and it just doesn't work. Well, then you're gonna love FocusMate. So today I had the honor of sitting down with Taylor, who founded FocusMate, and we discussed where this idea even came from. And like many entrepreneurs, it came from a struggle that he dealt with himself. Getting stuck and how do you actually get out of it? Like what are the tangible steps to get unstuck? The importance of accountability and having that accountability even when you don't speak to someone. So if you're like, I don't get it, you're going to want to tune in because we talk about how Focusmate works. You actually don't talk to your partner except at the beginning and end. We also talk about the pros and cons of working with a friend while working on your business and why it's important to set up structure if you are going to do some type of co-working. We also get into the behavioral science and studies around accountability because I don't know about you, but accountability in some settings doesn't work, but in others, it does. Like I know sometimes when I join courses or masterminds and they're like, we're doing an accountability post every Friday, like everyone update us. That never motivated me. I was like, I don't care. (laughs) Like I'll get to it next week or like hopefully I'll finish it by the end of the, the course or the mastermind. But for some reason with Focusmate, There's a lot of stuff that's built in like timers and seeing the other person on the other side. And I'm like, this has to be different than the way the accountability works in some of the courses I'm in. So we actually talk about that science. We also talk a lot about entrepreneurship. I found Taylor's story fascinating because they're a lean company. They're smaller, but they have helped so many people. There's so many users on Focusmate and it's very affordable right now. It's $5 a month. Be sure to check it out in my show notes and grab it, run, don't walk. But I got really curious, like, how do you even build something like this when honestly you could compare it to Zoom, right? It's, It's a software where you see someone else and you meet with them and you could mute out. So I was wondering from an entrepreneurial perspective, how do you build something that seems to already exist? How do you innovate? How do you keep going? We talk about money. We talk about investments. We talk about getting support when you're building your business. So, this is definitely for you if you are a new business owner or someone that's just struggling to focus in your business or need a little bit of an entrepreneurial pep talk. This is one of my favorite conversations of 2022 because Taylor was just so honest and real and also just explained so much of the ins and outs of why FocusMate works. I cannot rave about this software enough. Like, honestly, if it shuts down for some reason, I'm gonna have to figure out how to build it myself because. I would die without it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I do everything on it. I told you I'm on a focus mate session right now. I have like 20 focus mates booked just from Monday to Wednesday, and it's how I get things done. So if you're like, okay, is it really that great? Check it out for yourself. You can actually book three sessions a week for free. Like on the free plan, you could just do three sessions a week. And if you want to do more then upgrade for only $5. So instead of getting your pumpkin fall spice latte with extra whipped cream, venti, go invest in me instead, your to-do list, your brain, and your nervous system will thank me later. And before we dive in, I just have a few very quick announcements. The first is that you all know there's a voice note feature now, right? So I want to hear from you. I want to hear about your entrepreneurial questions, travel, podcasting, money, dating. I don't know if you're like, wait, why is she talking about dating? I- I'm going to talk about dating and what I've experienced in the last few months. So yeah, I want to hear from you. You can either drop a comment that you want me to comment on, like Chelsea, I've seen this trend. What do you think? Or ask me a question. So all you have to do is head to the link in my show notes and click the link that says leave a voice note, record your voice note, and I will actually stitch it into the podcast and answer. So please, please, please leave them. I want to hear from you guys. I think it would be so much fun to get you all more incorporated into the podcast and sometimes I might deliver non-expert opinions, but sometimes they might be expert. So send them over. And then finally, last but not least, the one-on-one coaching, I only have spaces for two people until the end of the year. So if you are seeking that one-on-one high level, high touch support, I highly encourage you to apply. You can head to the link of my show notes to learn more or just DM me and we can chat on a discovery call, chat in the DMs, chat in email, whatever you want. But if you're like, yes, I either want to start a podcast or I have a podcast, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't know how to increase downloads. I'm bad at promotion. I don't really even know how to use this as a marketing tool. It just feels like a big project every week. Then we need to chat. You might need some one-on-one support. So head to the link in my show notes where you can learn more. And of course you can always DM me at Chelsea Rife or email me info at Chelsea Reif.com if you want to chat. All right, let's dive into this week's episode with Taylor Jacobson. All right, guys, welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I have a dream guest on today. It is not an author. It's not an influencer. It's not an actor. It is Taylor Jacobson, the founder of Focusmate. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Taylor, I found Focusmate because I was... Um, in a novel writing class, and I had never written a novel before. And I was really uh, insecure about writing because I don't have a writing formal background. And someone was like, you know, we need accountability groups. So people started hosting accountability groups on Zoom. And then we had, you know, some within our cohort, but I always found it kind of easy to not show up to those because I was like, I know the group and I'm going to be here for four weeks with them. And it's going to be, uh, there's a little more leniency with like, oh, they'll understand why I didn't make it and someone in the group said, I've been using this software called Focusmate and I've been getting a lot of writing done. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. Let me check it out. And I didn't understand the concept at first because I was like, isn't this what we're all doing anyway is accountability groups. And I realized quickly, there's something so different when you're working with a stranger on the other end and reporting back to them and having the you know kind of Pomodoro timeframe to work with. And I started flying through my tasks and getting a lot of writing done. And then I started using it for work. And now I pretty much... I've become a little codependent on it to the point where I gave my virtual assistant my password. I was like, you need to book Focusmates if you want me to get anything done or else (laughs) I can't do it. So anyways, that is how I found it. But I want you to tell us, where did the idea of Focusmate even come from?
1: (laughs) I love your story. And I also laughed when you said, I'm not an actor. And I was like... You know, maybe there's part of me that really needs to express that part of myself. So that was my inner monologue while you were introducing (laughs) me. Uh, Yeah, where did this come from for me? A couple places. One is I've struggled with focus my whole life and I had a really tough phase I went through about 10 years ago. I started working remotely for the first time and Like overnight, I went from being a relatively high performer to like zero and losing my job. And I was really ashamed and demoralized. And that really started my journey more in earnest into like understanding like why I was so stuck and how to get myself unstuck. And I actually pivoted my career and I became an executive coach and just started working with people on their problems and all this. But fast forward, where did the idea really come from? I was talking to a friend who was also somebody that I was coaching and he was really procrastinating and getting really stressed out about a project he had. And we were just like brainstorming on what to do to help him. And I think the truth is I probably had this idea for a really long time, but. I just thought it was so shameful to want that kind (laughs) of handholding to want somebody to keep me company while I was working that it basically never even rose to the level of my consciousness. Like it was there somewhere, but I was repressing it. And just having this conversation with my friend, his vulnerability really like activated me and just this part of me that wanted to help him and just felt like, you know, if there's ever a moment to share this crazy idea, this is it. And so, yeah, I just, I mean, I knew so much behavioral science from spending years as a coach and just nerding out on this stuff. So yeah, I just was like, Hey, do you want to get on a video call? And you know, da 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 we'll tell each other exactly what we're going to do. Then we'll just keep each other company and we'll check in on each other. And yeah, fortunately, you know, he was a close enough friend and desperate enough that he said, yes, you know, and I guess maybe as you experience, like what we experienced that first time we worked that way, was like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is so good. Yeah, and then from there, it was like, okay, I've been an entrepreneur in enough ways, enough times. Like I know a good idea from a mediocre idea from a bad idea, because I've had a lot of the latter <laughs> and people need this, you know? So that was the seed and lots of other ideas and possibilities grew from there that we've sort of built upon and still... We're really still just getting
0: started, but yeah, that's the backstory. And for someone who doesn't know what it is, what's the most simplest way you would explain Focusmate?
1: Yeah. So it's an accountability buddy, whenever you want one. And the kind of accountability is a little different from what most people might think of. So the way it works is you get on a video call with a partner for either 30 minutes or 60 minutes. And You start the call by each sharing what you're going to work on during that time. And then you just get to work. You get down to work, each of you working on your own thing. You're not working together. You're just working on your own thing, but you're there keeping each other company and you can see them on your screen or off to the side on your phone, whatever. And you're just sitting there quietly getting stuff done. And at the end of either the 30 minutes or the 60 minutes, a bell goes off, which brings your attention back. And you check in with your partner and you say how it went and maybe celebrate a little. And then you say goodbye.
0: Yeah. it's It sounds almost so simple that you're like, really? like That's how simple it is? And I'm like, I cannot explain it. <laughs> and we'll talk about this with behavioral science and body doubling and all that stuff. But there is something that just lights a fire under your ass to get the work done when you see someone on the other side and you look at the little timer and it's counting down and you're like, okay, I really got to get this shit done. So (laughs) you talked about how you had some bad ideas and some good ones. And I know there's someone listening right now that is probably like, couldn't you just get on zoom and text your friend and set a timer and just say, Hey, let's co-work and call it a day. Did you ever experience that? Like, isn't this the same thing as just literally co-working with a friend? And how did you move through that?
1: Yeah. So it, is and it isn't, right? It is in that you could absolutely create that experience with a friend. The problem, there's a few problems. One is that it's a huge pain in the butt to try to coordinate with people to do this. And part of what's important about this is the ability to do it like anytime you want with zero friction. So you don't have to text anybody, you don't have to coordinate, you don't have to deal with somebody canceling. You don't have to plan too far ahead. You can, but you can also plan five minutes ahead or zero, you know, zero ahead, basically. And then, you know, something that can also be a challenge is if you're working with a friend, it's sometimes harder to stay accountable to the structure that really works, right? And so Focusmate, it is a really simple structure and it really works. But if you start deviating from it and hanging out and chatting and whatever, then it's not going to (laughs) work. And what's interesting actually is even if you are working with, and maybe you've had experiences, like if you're working with somebody you know on Focusmate, there's a partner you've loved working with, or even somebody that you knew before Focusmate, and I've done this a lot, just being inside of the structure that Focusmate is guiding you through sort of like switches your brain into like, I'm going to stick to this structure. So if you're just on Zoom, the context is a lot looser. It's like, we could be doing anything we want, And so just from a, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of triggers like positive triggers in there or, you know, I don't know if they're, there's different signals that can send us into more of a focused state or a less focused state. So all of that gets rolled into using Focusmate.
0: Yeah. People keep asking my username to work with me and I'm like, I don't want to co-work with my friends. (laughs) Like I want to do it with strangers because there's also this weird to me, it's actually a little bit of perception thing where I'm like, I don't want this person to think I'm not working on my stuff. If I'm just sitting here on Instagram and chit chatting and whatever, doing the thing I wasn't supposed to do where again, it's the perception of like, Oh, my friend, like they don't care if I'm on Instagram or not. It doesn't really matter. So I could sit around and, you know, lollygag and not really get the task done. And it sounds like you've studied a lot of behavioral science and you're using the words like triggers and your mind switches. And I want to talk about a little bit of that. Like, where did you get the information to understand how to build it. And what are some of the key behavioral science pieces integrated into it? Yeah. I mean, where I got it was like trying to solve my own problems,
1: you know, probably since like a psych class in college and just being like, Oh, this is cool and useful. And yeah, you know, on some level, just being desperate, you know, I think that's the simplest truth. And For me, it it was really intuitive. I mean, I shared the story of how it came about. Like, I didn't architect this by saying, like, you know, let's take these 19 points and put them into this, whatever. That's not really how I think the creative process works anyways. But what's cool is, you know, like, as we learn new things, we kind of just integrate them into how we operate, right? And so looking back and analyzing uh, why Focusmate works, yeah, there's so many reasons. So maybe the most powerful or most important is I think comes down to being mammals and being tribal animals and that we are wired to want to be good tribe members so that we don't get kicked out of the tribe. Right. And that's a really a survival based thing. Like human beings cannot survive on our own. We need the tribe to survive. And so when we are around people that that switch flips on, and now you don't want to let people down. So that's kind of, I think, the overarching most important thing to understand of just like how the human mind is wi- wired, how the human nervous system is wired. We can talk about that too. A really cool facet of the nervous system piece is when we're feeling anxiety, like stress, any kind of even low level feeling of not feeling safe, our blood flow to the brain decreases and it shifts into our limbs, our spinal column, because we're preparing basically to either run or fight. It's as a fight or flight state. And we don't really think of it that way when we're like, I'm just like stressed about a fight I'm having with my partner or like something happening at work. But actually, yeah, we're in fight flight, even if we're not running. And one of the triggers that works the opposite direction is being around somebody who feels safe to us. And I don't know if there's anything as powerful as that to help the nervous system to tell the body really that it is safe and so when you get on a focus mate session really the first thing that happens is somebody's smiling at you and greeting you and there's just such a warm culture you know actually on another podcast recently the host was saying like by noon every day he's like smiled and laughed like 10 more times than he would have if he wasn't using FocusMate. <laughs> And yeah, so that shifts the blood flow back into the brain and optimizes your body for focus and for, you know, creative tasks as opposed to survival tasks. So that's a really huge one. And yeah, maybe let's pick one more because there's like 20 that we
0: could probably talk about. What about the urgency of the timers? Because I know studying a little bit of, you know, ADHD and neurodivergent thinkers, there's two different chemicals that have to activate which creates that urgency, which is why people are like, oh, I get things done when it's chaotic. Or at the last minute, I seem to pull through and it actually is a big internal motivator. Um, and I imagine that's how the timers got built. So I want to know your perspective on that.
1: Yeah. Well, one of my favorite like pieces of research on this is Teresa Amabile at Harvard showed that there's an optimal condition for creativity, which I think of creativity as like, Again, it's not a survival task like running away from a lion. It may be a survival task in that we like need to make money, but we're not relating to it like a lion chasing us, right? So basically, everything that we have to do is on some level just a creative task. There's no survival impulse happening there. And what she found is that if there's no pressure, that doesn't work. But also, if there's too much pressure, that doesn't work. And that makes a lot of sense because if there's no pressure, like, yeah, we're not relating to this thing as a necessity, even though it does impact a longer-term goal. If there's really high pressure, now we're starting to feel too much stress, too much fear. The body's actually switching back into fight or flight and we can't focus. Whereas that just low level of pressure, which having a timer is perfect, having a partner that you just told what you're going to do and now you know you're going to have to tell them in a little bit if you did it, it's just enough pressure to kick us into that, like we need a little bit of cortisol, we need a little bit of adrenaline to like move. Those are healthy hormones in the right amount. So yeah, I think that's in a nutshell. You know why the timer works, why checking in at the end really helps.
0: Yeah, and you talked about safety, and I, you know I think it's true. Like you do see someone smiling, and I'm always shocked that every time we end a session, people are like, "Thanks for working with me," and they're like, "So." warm with their, you know, outro and leaving. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm used to just end meeting and jumping off. And it's never really like that. But, you know, something that comes to mind is Zoom bombers and how big of a problem that was during the pandemic. I dealt with that in the writing accountability group that I talked about. Someone started sharing a video and they just had to end it. And, you know, it was this big thing and apologizing and they had to change the structure and how they let people in. And I'm imagining at some point you thought about what if someone opens their camera and they're doing something inappropriate and how do you, you know, you obviously can't prevent everything, but you know, what was your thought about when you thought about maybe like a focus made bomber?
1: Yeah. Well, I guess the good news is there's, there are people like uh, out there that are deriving some sort of satisfaction, obviously from hurting other people in this way. It seems based on the relatively few number of bad experiences or or people like that on focusmate that the reward is much less cuz there's only one person whereas zoom bombing you get like a lot more bang for your buck trying to abuse people. So, we've got that going for us, but then yeah, we've also just implemented a lot of safety tools to make it really easy for people obviously to just leave quickly if if they feel uncomfortable, to report and you know, we have a zero tolerance policy for not only like harassment or you know sexual advances that sort of thing but also like even like being salesy at all zero tolerance because yeah that makes people feel unsafe too it's a boundary violation so yeah we're just extraordinarily strict zero tolerance lots and lots of tools in place and then also yeah it just doesn't seem to be an environment where people that are trying to hurt others can (laughs) get what they want
0: yeah yeah that makes sense What about the video feature? Because I remember one of my first ones, I turned my video off because I was just used to doing that in other settings. And then I checked back in the middle and my partner had jumped off and he's like, hey, the point of me doing these is like to have the video on. I I feel like this is a little counterintuitive. I'm going to leave the session. And I know I told a friend about it and she's like, I just feel weird leaving my video on. Like, I don't know this person. They're just watching me work. What kind of science or reasoning is there behind leaving video on and why does why do you think it motivates people to like actually work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes back to being mammals and being impacted by somebody's presence, you know. And we, there's a word called neuroception, which is like a autonomic process of perception. It's not a conscious process of perception. And so, research shows that even putting a mirror. Like behind your computer, for example, your body can't really distinguish between the reflection of your own image and another human being. So yeah, there's just a lot of things your body is picking up on that like, yeah, I'm in a tribal setting right now. And if you turn the video off, it's a lot easier to forget that. And yeah, it cuts both ways. Like, Of course, it adds pressure. And (laughs) there's that impulse within us that it's not healthy or unhealthy, it's just... It can be too much added pressure for somebody in some moment, right? And so, you know, there are some people for whom getting on a video call either never is going to feel okay for their nervous system or they need, you know, and we're working constantly on providing ways to choose your partners, to tell us what kind of partners you want, to save your favorite partners, just released some of those features. We're working on a bunch more right now. So, that you can get the benefit of being on video and having your body basically respond with that higher accountability and more productivity while also feeling really safe with the person that's there.
0: Got it. And now I'm thinking about this too that there's no option to work in a group. Is that intentional?
1: Yes, and no. You know, now we're getting a little bit more into like the entrepreneurship journey and strategic choices than like the science. Yes, it's intentional, A, because we've found a format that's insanely effective and we're nowhere close to perfecting it. And B, because when you are a startup, you have to focus, you know, so this is the thing that we're focused on right now. There's so much opportunity to do it better. I do also think there's great benefit to group experiences. It's different, but you can also get some, some similar benefits. So yeah, that's
0: just where we are in our, you know, our building journey right now. Got it. I feel like I work best one on one because it's, I think, it goes back to the safety thing. I think all of a sudden, if there's a group, it changes a little bit, but that could be personal. And something that I find that's also personal to me that I'm wondering is if this is somehow built into Focus Me is loss aversion, where I'm really motivated by loss. So if you tell me I'm going to lose $20 if I don't show up to something versus I'm going to win $20. I'm more motivated if I'm going to lose the twenty dollars. This is how ClassPass works, which is insanely effective. That's how I actually do any type of workouts because I will lose funds out of my bank account if I don't go to the class. I'm curious, you know, with your cancellation, you know, you can cancel last minute. You know, you don't have to show up. In the future, would it? Do you guys think you would integrate anything like that? Like, if you don't come to a session, you're going to lose five dollars or something? Totally, yeah. Actually,
1: we already have an integration with Bminder, which. Really, the entire purpose of Bminder is to use this kind of loss aversion as motivation, so yeah, we already have a lot of people that have plugged it in into Bminder and are doing that, but it's also a super popular request, like all sorts of different financial incentives, so yeah, <laughs> stay tuned, probably not, you know, probably not in the next year, but yeah, there's just so many cool things that can be added on.
0: yeah, because I'm like there are some times where you know, I can cancel the focus mate because I'm like, I don't really want to do the thing, and I'll cancel it. And I'm like, if I was losing money, I would definitely keep it on the calendar. <laughs> so I'm excited for that future. And I want to talk a little bit now about the entrepreneurial stuff. You know, when you, you have a great idea and you're like, This works, I just tried it, and then you start building it, this is the part where people never connect the dots of like, yeah, I just thought I had a dream and I worked hard and then it, it just happened. And I'm like, what is literally the first step of this works? Now we need to do something with it. What was the very first thing you did?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, I think there's an important piece of this story, which is I actually didn't do anything for six months after I had this idea. I didn't not do anything, but I didn't commit building this company for 6 months. I started doing a bunch of things and I'll come back to that, but for me one of the hardest and most important lessons in my earlier entrepreneurial journey was having a good idea is really not enough. It has to be an idea that really resonates with what you feel like you're doing here on the planet, you know? Your purpose or just something that lights you up because and, and you know, for somebody that can be I really want to provide for my family and I don't need to feel a sense of purpose around the idea. I feel really confident this is a good idea and that it will fulfill my sense of purpose of providing for my family. So I don't want to make it seem like this is a one size fits all that you have to be mission driven and all that. But, you know, it's like Simon Sinek says, you got to start with why. And I had actually started some businesses that were good ideas that I just quit because I got six months in. And I was like, wow, I can't imagine doing this for another six months, let alone another five years. It's just not the right idea for me. So I was pretty gun-shy when I had this idea. And I just stewed for a while until I got to this point where I was like, I can't not do this. Like, (laughs) I'm going to regret it if I don't do this. So that was a really important part of my starting process. That's less tactical, obviously, maybe than your question, but I think important for me. But yeah, more tactically, I, what did I do first? I created a Facebook group. I, I sort of had this idea like, I, wanted, I want to use Lean Startup methodology to validate this in the simplest way possible. And so I created a Facebook group. I came up with a name. I, I didn't have a name at the time. So I called this Facebook group Procrastination blasters. <laughs> and it was scary for me. I was like, this is a terrible name, but I don't want to wait around for a good name. So we're going to start with this bad name. And I went into other Facebook groups that were about freelancing or other people that I knew were likely to be working on their own and working at home in a similarly challenging environment. And I just posted you know, and I was really careful to check in with admins of groups to not be spammy. And I just said, Hey, me and a friend have been trying this thing. We're calling it virtual coworking. Basically, we just get on video calls and we hold each other accountable and we keep each other company. You know, we're looking for some other people to like, to do this with, is anyone interested? If so, you know, I'm just going to put, I might've even just said, you know, leave me some comments and let me know what you think, you know? And, it, and then at some point it was like, Okay, I'm getting 10 comments, 20 comments. Then I would send people a Google form and I would say, Hey, can you answer some questions for me? You know, and in my mind, I knew that if they were willing to A, share, I asked for their email address, you know, if they're willing to share some private information and if they're willing to take the time to tell me about their struggle with procrastination to the like and think that this idea sounded to them like it was promising enough to take that 10 minutes or whatever that was a first step towards validating. This is something that people actually want. And so this Facebook group just grew, you know, to like 20 people, 50 people, hundred, couple hundred people. And people were just manually scheduling these appointments with each other through the Facebook group. Right. And that's also actually really valuable validation because it shows that the value of the experience is so much that people are willing to do all these really inconvenient things actually in order to have that experience. So that, those were kind of the f- initial data points of, yep, people want this. And we actually didn't charge money for this for a couple of years. We did do some pricing surveys early on because I think that's important. But yeah,
0: those were some of the ways that we really needed to prove to ourselves like, yeah, people actually will, will do this. And where did you even learn that to learn how to validate ideas and do market research? I mean, this is stuff I just learned in the last six months and I've had my business for two years. Uh, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are similar to me where they're like, fuck it. I'm doing it. We're just going to go and see what happens, but there's no actual business background or strategy. And that's what happens is then people overinvest in business coaches. And then they're taking 25 courses on how to market, how to do social media, how to get your ideas out there then they feel like they're behind and then they give up. And I've seen this cycle over and over and over again. So I'm curious where you got that background. Yeah. Well,
1: and that's, I think it's so important to say all of what you just said, because yeah, like not everyone has. So I, I guess the first place I really learned this stuff, I did a nonprofit startup accelerator called the startup leadership program. And that's where I got introduced to lean startup methodology. And It's actually pretty simple. I mean, I think some of the nuances of it are great, but like the the 80-20 is like, you need to sell something that people want. And I, you know, I am as guilty as anyone that we can delude ourselves in so many ways that people want what we're selling or that, you know, it's like they should want what we're selling and we really want to offer what we're selling. Like, and all of the different flavors of that, but uh, yeah, we just have to be really sober about are people saying they want this? Is there even one person who's just like, I can't live without this? Like, please let me buy this. That's the kind of it's not people being nice and being like, oh yeah, that sounds kind of interesting, or like yeah, like I would consider that, or or sometimes even people indicating, yeah, I want that, but for people that really shell out money it has to be a lot more fervent than that so yeah i think at least for me that was that's the 80 20 that's the biggest takeaway from all this stuff that i've learned like the rest you can figure out if that part's missing business is not going anywhere no matter what
0: did anyone at any point including friends and family or people in these market research groups tell you like this is a horrible idea. Like why would you put all your time and money towards (laughs) this?
1: Oh yeah. Lots of people, (laughs) lots of people. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if you find your target customer and they want it. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. Like, I don't want to buy lipstick. If you ask me, you know, to give you feedback about your lipstick business, I'll do my best to give input, but I cannot be the one to validate through my strong emotional visceral like yes take my money but somebody else will be like that if you find your target customer so yeah there's definitely discernment that's required in that validation process and there's a lot of really smart people really experienced people you know lots of entrepreneurs and investors who are like this doesn't make any sense to me i would never use this so yeah you know it, <laughs> i guess if the 80/20 is sell something that people really 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 want You know, maybe the next 80, 20 beyond that is like, don't be delusional, but also make sure that you're testing with the right people. Something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask if there's anyone, you know, a loved one that was really close to you that said something that made you almost want to throw in the towel and be (laughs) like, maybe they are (laughs) right.
1: I think, fortunately, not. My family was pretty supportive. They either got it or if they didn't get it, they weren't super resistant to it. But, you know, I was living in New York when I started this business and I had a really deep network of successful people, entrepreneurs and
0: investors. And yeah, I mean, I had people just say like, this is really stupid. Yeah. That's actually uh, something I've never talked about in this podcast is like zip code and location and how much proximity to different circles of people can elevate you. Do you think you would have had a different experience if you didn't live in New York?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of my, at least in my 20s, I thought a lot about that Jim Rohn rule of five, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like the thoughts we think and the beliefs we form and the habits we form, and all these things are a function of our, not just our you know, inner workings, but our environment. And then that kind of becomes our inner workings. And for me, like I moved to New York, maybe I was 28 or something. And I was just getting to this point of like being really frustrated with myself and like, I need to step it up and I'm ready to step it up. And so New York for me was a place where I could sort of like, it was like outsourcing the step it up energy because I just (laughs) was surrounded by all these A players. And there's a lot of downsides to that too. I mean, it's very ambition oriented, but I just needed to... Yeah, so there's the energy of the going for it that I got from New York, like just this sense of possibility. Like, we don't care what you're doing as long as you're just chasing your dream. That to me is the energy of New York. And that was really healthy. And then, yeah, I just met a ton of people with a ton of experience. And that's that there's absolute massive legitimate value to that. And I was, I mean, I, I can't tell you how you know, as an entrepreneur, you're literally stuck and confused every freaking moment of every day doing something you've never done before. (laughs) And I can't tell you the number of times that I asked for advice on something where I was like, I think I have a handle on this, but let me just ask for advice. And I went a totally different direction. I was like, whoa, I never saw it that way. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So yeah, I think, you know, we have human beings. We walk around with a lot of shame that keeps us from getting help. And thinking we should know, which is crazy, so yeah, it takes also I think a lot of humility to be a successful entrepreneur because you need to be willing to not know and then just go do whatever you need to do to know better than you know right now.
0: Mhm. I think it's helpful to hear this from you because this is kind of the same philosophy with starting a podcast is people are like, well, I'm not an expert yet, I don't have the background. I didn't go to Journalism school, or whatever the case is, so I can't start. But if you have that humility of like, I'm going to start, the first episode might suck. I might not know how to edit. I probably don't know how to interview that well. And then you just buy, you build a muscle and you get better and better the more you do it. And I'm curious, how long did it actually take you to build the muscle to be like, I'm not giving up on this? Focus Made is going to happen. Like, were there any points where you were just like, maybe we should, you know, dump Focus Made and try something else? <laughs> well, First, I want to
1: just double down on something you just said, which I I really think is important for people to hear. Like, I really think that it is more valuable to have the humility to ask and the determination to get the right answer than to already know, to come into building a business knowing something. Definitely, you're bringing your whole life experience to bear. That's what you know, and that's incredibly invaluable and it's why your business is going to be different than every other business. But yeah, a lot of people don't start or give up because they feel like I just don't have the tools. And so just like learning how to find answers, I think is, is maybe the most important thing. And as far as your other question, you know, did, did I or we ever almost throw in the towel? No, no, and a lot of that is because I really waited until I knew I needed to do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was like I think about like drawing back a, a bowstring on a on a bow <laughs> to shoot an arrow, right? Where and maybe I shouldn't be choosing this metaphor because I don't know anything about <laughs> archery. <laughs> but You know, I remember being a kid and just being like, oh my God, this is so hard. Like I'm supposed to pull this back even more, like no freaking way, you know. And then I'd let it go and it would get like two thirds of the way to the target. And it's like, what? And I think we do that all the time in our lives, where we are so we're so insecure about where we are and we're so convinced that we need to get somewhere and be somebody. Or we legitimately are broke, and like we're desperate to make money, or like whatever is the thing the you know the thing that's driving us, if it's too much of a fear based motivation, then as soon as that fear is gone, like the motivation's gone, not to mention it sucks to be motivated by fear all the time it's not healthy, so I guess my experience was like waiting and waiting and just pulling it back and back and back and back and And then you get to a point where you're not at 90% commitment. You're not at 95% commitment. You're like, yep, this is a yes. Clear, simple, full stop. That's it. So yeah, I've done so many things in my life from a maybe or like almost hell yes. And that's, you know, that's been my downfall. So yeah, that's uh, served me really well. And I've literally never wavered and i guess you know that's my best assessment of that is why it's like when you're really clear it doesn't mean that our desires don't change doesn't mean that i'll always want to do this business but i think that is a real that's been for me a really helpful facet of when you come up against a challenge and you're just like oh my god like this is too hard you're not doing the one foot out the door like should i quit right now you're just like yeah this is hard Darn!
0: I wish this weren't so hard, but all right, here we go. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like when an exit plan isn't even really on the table. You know that we're not wavering from this, and I think this is important to call out because the way the entrepreneurship dream is sold is that it's so much fun all the time. You're living your passion every day. You work two hours a day. You work in a you know on a beach on a, in a cafe and you're never struggling. When in reality, it's like you said, I'm doing something every day. I don't know how to do. I'm asking people like, what the fuck does this mean? I don't understand how we're still on the same project eight months later. And it's constantly like that. And I think that's again, the the side we see on Instagram doesn't really show that. So I think it's important to hear that from both of us. Like, there's a lot of days where I'm like, this actually sucks. And I don't want to do any of this. But my thought isn't let me stop doing this and go back to a corporate job. It's like, I will figure it out. Even if it takes six months to a year, I even, call, I internally called this year. I haven't said this on the podcast at all. My NBA rebuild year <laughs> where I was like, I'm rebuilding the team, rebuilding the structures. Like, you know, when you, the team kind of sucks that year and you're like, we're coming back next year to win a championship. Even though I haven't had a shitty year, it's internally, there's a lot of things going on in the back end, And I think that's important to know that that kind of feels like it all the time. Like you're constantly restructuring and optimizing and auditing. Have you ever gotten to a place where you're like, okay, we're good. We don't have to actually do a lot. Like we're cruising now. (laughs) I just
1: love what you just shared. And it reminds me of Mark Manson wrote this thing that we have to choose our shit sandwich. It's like anywhere, any which way you turn, you know, life is gonna deal us some major (laughs) challenges, but we can choose, you know, which shit sandwich we want to eat. So have we ever got to a point of cruising? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it depends what you mean by cruising, right? But one of the hardest lessons in the first few years of Focusmate for me was like realizing that I really am not good at like operational excellence. I'm much more people manager and ideas and recruiting great people. And Setting a really inspiring vision and this sort of thing. But it exhausts me to try to do operations. And that was my job for a really long time. And part of part of the challenge was just being under-resourced and not being able to like delegate any of that stuff because there's nobody to delegate it to, right? But then at a certain point, it does become a limiting belief situation where I want to be in control. And I actually have an overinflated idea of how good or not I am at some of these things. And I just, yeah, I got to a point of honestly just being so exhausted and so tired of seeing the ways it was costing us to suck at operations that I finally started to give up a lot of that. And like our operations manager today, she is so different from me. And sometimes I'm just like, who are you, mysterious person that likes to do all these things that I hate? Like, I never really even saw that as a possibility. And that was just a total blind spot for me. So, yeah, it's been, there was a transition where I was like, oh my God, is, can it really be this good? Can I really do things that I like and have other, somebody else like doing things that I hate? Wow.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, hiring the right team members will literally change the state of your business, your mind, everything. Because I, I like that you just pointed that out. That it's not like you built this alone and are doing everything alone and had the vision alone and test. It's because that's the other side of the dream. Is like you hear this all the time: the rags to riches story. And I, it was just me, myself, and I, blood, sweat, and tears. And you know, finally, something clicked. And I think that's a myth that success happens alone. Yeah, there's probably
1: one or two archetypes out there that can do that i'm definitely not one of them and i did a lot of business by myself alone before focusmate also and yeah it's like i can't succeed that way it's just too hard there's too many facets of business that are really hard for me and i do see a lot and i just was talking to a friend about this who she's started a few businesses that have all failed And when I look at her, I see these extraordinary gifts that she has. She's so evangelical and magnetic, right? And like, what gifts those are to become a successful entrepreneur. But she's also very disorganized. And so, you know, to the extent that she hasn't found the right partners for her, she hasn't been able to build a successful business and really focus on what she's good at. And, you know, I also like watched her develop these. Self critical narratives because of those failures, and not actually get the lesson she needed, which was like, Oh, I'm not meant to do this alone. Here's the things I'm really good at. And I need to wait, basically. I need to wait until I find the right partner or partners, you know, because even between two people, you know, with our business, it was me and then it was me and my co founder. And the two of us also had some major, major gaps for a long time. So, yeah, I think I would love for everyone, all of us to be a lot more gentle with ourselves about the times we failed and and look at it through that lens of like, gosh, what really lights me up? What am I really, really good at? And if I could just have it exactly my way and get the support I needed and get the partners I needed, like who would they be? What would they be doing? And just be really clear about that and go and make it happen.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people define failure the wrong way. And instead, instead of looking at it as like, oh, this one thing didn't work, let me throw in the business there, you know, there's this whole concept on failure tolerance. And like, you are only as strong as like how many failures you can handle and just keep getting up and doing it over and over again and not, you know, leave the arena, so to speak. And I think in the world I'm in, which is a lot of coaches or consultants or anything in that field, there's a lot of solo entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. And I think a lot of us tie our success to literally. Income only. Did I make money this month? You know, Am I profitable? Did, did I have any refunds? And that's it. And it's like money, money, money. Am I a millionaire yet? And that's the only measure of success. What are some measures of success that you've implemented along your entrepreneurial journey or had to start implementing instead of only like your bottom line? Hmm.
1: Man, good question. And again, I loved what you said. It reminded me of that quote of like, a male centric quote but the superior man derives his sense of self from being defeated by greater and greater you know enemies or not it's not enemies but and i think a lot about shame actually it's been something i've been thinking about a lot lately as like to the extent that we have shame we let that be the thing that interprets our failures for us, and we make our failures mean there's something wrong with us and that's what shame is doing, really. and as soon as that goes, then we can just start seeing reality, you know, yeah, what are other measures? You know, I, this isn't really a measure, actually, but a decision I made right when I started Focus mate, it was just like a a moment of transition in my life where I was really tired of all of my own stories about why I hadn't been successful yet, you know, that there's something wrong with me, that there's something different about me than all those other successful people out there. And I just was like, I would, (laughs) it's time to like give up all those stories and just do whatever it takes. And so the decision I made at that point was, I am always going to do my best. I'm always going to do 100% at every single thing that I do. And that changed everything for me. It was like, what if I choose to believe that there's nothing different about me, but I've just been giving 80% my whole life? And I know for me, like in school, I really got a lot a lot of ego gratification from getting good grades without working too hard. And I just, I internalized, you know, like to be that way, that I, it was like sh- showing off to myself to make myself feel better than other people. But then at some point, it caught up to me of, wow, giving 80% is clearly not enough. So, in a sense, that's, I think that's kind of the only measure that we need. It's like, just do 100%. Don't give yourself any reason for this to not work out so that if it doesn't work out, you also don't have any regrets about it, you know? But then you also, (laughs) yeah, this kind of goes without saying, but then you also get to see like who you really are and what you're really capable of. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's that balance between I'm going to give this 100% do my absolute best. And in that process, I might actually fall flat on my face and be so embarrassed about how did I go this hard and fail so badly. And then it causes that cycle of like, do I really know what I'm doing? And I think it kind of goes back to that point of like, have people around you who can lift you up or know what they're doing and work with people that have different strengths than you. You know, it's not Going back to the ego gratification, I think a lot of people like saying that they wear 12 different hats and can do everything on their own, but it's like, do you want to go far or do you want to actually build a solid foundation and a strong business? Yep. That's the 12 hats. Like, It's another great example of the ways that we
1: prefer to like think, to gratify our egos than to just say, like, screw it. Like, I don't want to gratify my ego anymore. I just want to do whatever it takes to build my dream. <laughs> Am I willing to like not stroke my ego because, Oh my God, I have so many good ideas. And I, you know, I'm, and for me, it was like, I'm so good at everything. And I was like, no, you're not <laughs> freaking hire somebody else to do that. Or like recruit a business partner or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's okay to admit you can't do everything. I have so many people that help me. I'm like, this business would not even be close to what it is. If I didn't have people that understood systems and automation, I would be like, <laughs> working on a notebook and pen every day. One thing I definitely want to cover briefly is money because a lot of people, you know, the messaging also with new entrepreneurs is like take the leap and invest in yourself. And like, there's some really harmful coaches out there that will tell you, you know, if you really believed in yourself, you would find the money. So take out a credit card, take out a loan, have your parents invest in you. That's personal that, you know, if you want to do that, you can, I think there's a lot of people that pray on people, like if you don't, you know, invest fifty thousand dollars in your business upfront, you're going to fail. So I'm curious: a, did you have a solid income when you were building FocusMate, and if not, how did you navigate? Because a lot of times we start moving faster because of money, like we're running out of money. I need to get this shit out there. I just want to know a little bit about the entrepreneurship journey with finances and then like funding the FocusMate idea. Yeah. Oh, another just such a juicy topic. Yeah. So the backdrop for this is when
1: I was a coach, I was just trying to pay my rent living in New York and I was struggling so much. And then I got into a relationship and my partner lost her job and I spent all my savings. And like I was just in such a fear state. And yeah, we are not effective when we're in a fear state. You know, and just think about being on a sales call when you're scared and you like need that money, you're not present at all with that person. You don't even know if this is a good idea for them to buy the product. And you're definitely not helping them know if it's a good idea to buy the product. And like I've just been in that, I know that space so freaking well and it's horrible. It is the worst. And the big shift happened for me when I was still coaching, but I found this company that I could like plug into as a facilitator. And I started facilitating these groups that they were putting together. And all I had to do was show up and facilitate. And then I started to know every month I'm gonna get this amount of income from this gig. And yeah, my nervous system started shifting out of this fear state into more security. And I, to this day, I still work for that company. It's a few hours a month. And it means that I can actually take less salary. From focusmate which is doing great you know but it happens that this this work i'm doing is also really symbiotic and i'm spending time with entrepreneurs and whatever but yeah so getting that foundation under me was really important and you know with focusmate we could have gone different directions and i felt like i wanted to take the approach of starting out as a free service because it was a new idea. I thought it would be hard to get enough people on there to make the idea work. And Focusmate needs enough people that are always working in order to find a partner. So yeah, we decided we're gonna start out not charging money for this. And I raised $70,000 from some friends and family. And that was enough to pay my co-founder. He's, he was making $4,000 a month living in New York for the first really long while. And I fortunately didn't need to make money cuz I had this other job. And we just stretched that as long as we could. And like I said, like when we started, everybody thought this idea was really stupid. We couldn't raise money. You know, eventually we were able to raise a little bit more money. We we haven't raised much. If I hadn't had, you know, friends, those friends and family to put in that $70,000, like I don't know what the alternative would have been. So, yeah, I think I share that just to be transparent. Also, like it Matters,
0: definitely. I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. And for someone that's listening and they're like, I want to do a family and friends round, maybe even myself. How would you even approach that without feeling like I'm taking from people and you know, they might not actually make this money back? Like This actually could fall flat, flat on its face and I can't return the money. I think a lot of people are scared to ask for help, whether that's with friends and family or the public, because it feels like, they're just doubting themselves to actually do anything with the money that's given to them yeah well th- there's a few
1: this is such a deep topic so it's going to be hard to really do it justice but you know one important thing I think is understanding the math of how people could make money on a business that's at zero today and you know different businesses and entrepreneurs that have different risk profiles but it's generally you can't raise money unless you have an idea that really has big potential, scalable potential, because the risk reward is just so unfavorable. It's like if you're going to raise $70,000 for a business that will one day maybe make, I don't know, half a million 10 years from now, it's really hard for those people to make that bet. So that's like the 60 seconds on, is it even worth trying to get like professional investors to bet on you? And it could be friends and family who just want to see you win, you know. Like, and I, I, think that's that's beautiful, and that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I forgot your question.
0: It's okay. I was asking basically, um, how do you not feel bad about asking yeah, for yeah, family yeah. for money? So
1: good. <laughs> well, number one is knowing that you're 100% committed. It's like, yeah, you don't know that you're going to succeed, but are you going to do your best? Are you really going to do your best? And for me. That was what I I needed to be at that point. And it was, yeah, it is really scary to come to that point and have somebody be like, yeah, I'm going to give you $10,000. And yeah, I think it takes humility to say like, I'm not responsible for this person's choices. I'm responsible for telling the truth to this person. And that's what you owe to somebody if you're asking them for money. You owe to tell them the truth and to be committed to doing your absolute best to deliver. Yeah, then if, you know... (laughs) I saw this video the other day that was like, the thing that we most want to receive is somebody giving us the opportunity to give, and so you know, if somebody's got money, it's not really creating meaning in their lives, but now, if you come along and you have a vision of some somehow you want to change the world and serve people, and they can turn that money into the feeling of giving and supporting
0: that to come into fruition yeah, don't take that opportunity from them. I love that. I feel like that's what professional investors I've heard say too, is like, yeah, sometimes you don't really know, but there's something about the person that you're like, I know, no matter what, they are not going to give up. Like they are tenacious. They will make this happen at all costs. And sometimes that's what that matters over the business plan. It's just knowing that someone has that, you know, almost audacious ambition to be like, I'm not giving up on this. So I'm glad to hear that it worked out from the friends and family.
1: Yeah. And one more thing is like, it's just money. And, you know, I think as in, when we're early in our entrepreneurial journey, like there, we have so much bullshit about money and it's not that it doesn't mean something, you know, there's a, it's a real, there's a real energetic exchange that deserves like some reverence when somebody's giving you money and it's just money at the same time. I love that. Do you know
0: who Derek Sivers is? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> he he built an incredible company and sold it and gave all the money to charity. But I read one of his books and one of my favorite quotes from it was just like, act like you don't need the money because people can sense when you are desperate. We kind of talking about this with being on a sales call and being desperate and people wanting to invest in you. Like, Of course, when you go to investors, you need the money. But there's this air of like, I'm good and neutral and grounded. And so I'm not coming from this desperate place of like, save me, you know, type of thing. And I love that. Yeah. Well, and
1: so often we hear things like that and we try to like perform it as opposed to actually embodying it. And you can't like, you can't just like snap your fingers and like dispel all of the neediness within yourself. I think it's, for me, I view that advice is more of a roadmap for our own growth. Like, what do you need to do? What resources do you need to put into your life so that you can actually
0: show up in a conversation and not need the money? And maybe that is getting a part-time job. I think there's a lot of shame that people are like, I don't want to work while I'm also building this business. I know a girl right now who, she's got a part-time job that has nothing to do with her business. And she's like, it's actually helping me because I have the nervous system regulation of this income. And now I'm not I'm using two different parts of my brain and the, but they're still really symbiotic and helping each other and she's like this is actually the best decision I've made in a really long time and I think we need to get off this you know pedestal of like you can't take any other source of income to help fund your dream especially if it's a part-time job or a gig that might not even have to do with your business. Yeah,
1: I love that story and I I think the nervous system lens is a really good one because we can get so heady about some of these things and It can be a lot simpler if we just say, you know what? My body needs to feel safe. When I feel really safe, then I show up in my power, right? So if we look at it through that lens, we can just say, okay, what would have me feel really safe, really secure? Like, okay, part-time job. Like that's, I love that story. So yeah.
0: Love that. Well, I just have two more questions. And one of them is that we've been talking a lot about the you know, struggles and the, you know, hardships and failures that we've had to face, but what are some of your favorite or best memories or wins from starting Focusmate?
1: Well, I already told you one, which was hiring an operations manager, which literally for months, I just was like, I can't, I can't believe this is real. So yeah, that that's been a big one on my own journey and just, Learning how to trust and delegate and, yeah, honestly, like not come from such a scared and controlling place myself. It's been a big, you know, I've been at this six years. That's really been the last year for me, that journey. So that's really present for me right now. Hmm. I mean, this is almost an everyday thing, but the stories that we hear from people are, I mean, they... They make me cry on a regular basis. You know, one woman saying, I got into Juilliard because of Focusmate. You know, I had somebody to hold me accountable to just practice for my auditions. One guy, a Kashmiri guy who had to leave his home because of war. And he was, I guess, studying in a university there and he had to switch to just studying on YouTube and he just said, like, I couldn't be continuing to study without, you know, I'm like living away from home, can't afford to go to another university, or it's shut. Maybe it was shut down, and like FocusMate is just like there for me. So, yeah, th- that's <laughs> that's pretty special. And you know, maybe just one more is like, I still remember the moment when we had a thousand customers. <laughs> And I just thought like, this is crazy. I There are a thousand people that I don't know, you know, and that's a lot of people. And at that point, our business was tiny, you know, and still, we're still a small business, but, you know, I spent so long fantasizing about having a business that could make money overnight and blah, 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 and just toiling and struggling and being like, there's something wrong with me. and I'll never get there. And, but I just learned a ton and ton and a ton. And then had the right idea and waited for the right people and just chipped away. And then it was like, holy crap, like this is this is happening. So yeah, that was really special. I love that.
0: I love that. And my last question is this podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion. So what is something that you're not an expert in that you wish that you were? (laughs) There's a part of me that's really ready to get into like performing arts,
1: music acting, singing, all of that. So I'll go with that. Yeah.
0: Love that. Well, is Focusmate an app? Someone actually just asked me that, or is it just a web a website? It's just a website. You can access
1: it on your phone, which lots of people do, but there's okay. no app. Yeah.
0: Okay. So everyone go run, do not walk, get Focusmate. And what's something that's coming up that you guys are looking forward to?
1: A bunch of new features that help you choose who you want to work with. Just making it really easy to find the people that you love and make you feel good and help you have more fun getting stuff done.
0: Amazing. Was there anything else you want to share? Where to find you? Where to find Focusmate? Take yourself out?
1: Yes, absolutely. We would love for all of y'all to come join us. Our website's focusmate.com. And yeah, I'm on Instagram the most these days. I don't know. How did people find people on Instagram? My handle is Taylor E. Jacobson.
0: (laughs) But um, yeah, love to connect with anyone. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. This has been an incredible conversation. I know it's going to help so many people. And I know Focusmate, again, guys, this has changed my life. So I'm really appreciative of your time.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. This is great.
0: Well, I hope you had a notebook and pen and took a million notes. And if not, go back and try and do that. Because even listening to it again myself, I'm like, jaw on the floor what did i just hear this is incredible i'm not lazy i'm not bad at focusing i don't have a shitty attention span okay maybe i do but there's actually just different ways that i'm motivated that maybe other people aren't and that's okay so if you're like me and you need accountability and you need someone with you to do a task you need to check out focus me so go to the link in my show notes and give it a shot you can do three free sessions a week i mean that's insane I think that's very generous of them or break your bank and pay $5 a month. I know it's a lot of money, $5 a month for the most incredible, life-changing, transformative, iconic, never been done before software on earth, but I hope you can find the budget because it is incredible. I'm not kidding. I'm on a focus mate still to do this outro. (laughs) That's how much I depend on it. I pretty much use it for everything now. I have focus Mates, like back to back on my calendar whenever I need to get anything done. And also you can use it for stuff just like cleaning, doing laundry. Maybe you're working on like creating a writing ritual, writing a novel. It doesn't always have to be work related. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Are you as obsessed as I am? I hope you are. And then we can start like a FocusMate fan club because I really think I'm their number one fan and I hope they never go away. And one final announcement, leave your voice note for the podcast. I want to hear from you guys. I mean, I've been doing this podcast for five freaking years. And do you know how much I have to hear myself talk? I'm done. I don't want to hear myself talk anymore. I want to hear from you. So head to the link in my show notes, leave your voice note, and I will stitch it into whatever podcast is next and add a segment where I will either rant or do a stream of consciousness or answer a question. Whatever type of voice note you leave, I'll add my non expert or expert opinion. I think it's a really fun way to get you all involved as a podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.